Uh, my name is Amber Carroll, and I am one of the pastors at the church here. If we haven't had a chance to meet, welcome. Allow me to welcome you, and I'm glad that you're here with us today. And uh, before we, we go any further, uh, we've been in a message series called Her Story, and um, we have benefited from the research and the work of a group of churches called The Meeting House in Canada. And so I just wanted to, as we post this on Facebook and we, we share, um, share what we've done and what we've learned, I wanted to uh, just say the work they're doing there is amazing. They have a wonderful ministry and the podcast you can um, go on and subscribe to. They do some really great work. So thank you to the Meeting House. And if you haven't been with us or if you're just joining us or missed any of our uh, talks over this series, we have a podcast you can subscribe to through the iTunes store. And we also do Facebook Live. And so you can go back on our Facebook page and watch any message or any, anything that you might have missed. So we always have that option available. We know every week people join us on Facebook Live, so there are people right now watching. Hello, Facebook people, whoever you are. Um, we're glad that you're here. But so we've been looking at, at her story, and we said there are a couple convictions that we've held as we've gone through this, um, and it, it's this, it's that the church has been wrong about how we have gone about interpreting the Word of God, that we've excluded half of the image of God from the table, from exegeting scripture from interpreting what was meant by the words written there. And so by getting that wrong, by excluding half of the image of God, there's been a lot of pain and suffering throughout the world in the church and in, in the world around us. And we need to repent of that. And we need to teach a biblical view and not a new like cultural fad. There's like some newfangled view of scripture we understand that the, the longer we are alive and develop as a culture, the more we know about study, about words. We're learning more um, about the original uh, words, the original Hebrew and Greek. And so um, we need to teach a biblical view of Scripture. And uh, those who believe differently than what we believe here, what we talk about here, are not the enemy, but beloved brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we hope that when you leave here, you don't uh, point fingers at anyone who is different or get into heated arguments that um, negate anyone's heart. So we just, we want to say that we value love, we value the other, even if we don't agree. So that is that. And, and so this, her story, the, the story of women throughout time, um, we thought it'd be a great idea to cover in six weeks, totaling three hours, which is impossible to do. But um, so it's a very, a very big topic. We've covered um, the, uh, some of the big narratives. We've covered the letters of Paul, some of the, the passages that he's written that have been used to prohibit women from leading in the church and in their homes. And so today, I just want to, I hope to kind of bring it all together the best I can. So I hope you can stay with me. If you brought your Bibles, you can bring those out and follow along, but we will have the scriptures up on the screen. But we know that in the beginning was God. So we know that in the Trinity, we have a Trinitarian God, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In the beginning was God, and God created. And we have two creation accounts in Genesis 1 and 2, and everything he creates is good, right? We see all of that. And then we see this place where it is not good. The only time it is not good, it's when he creates man and man is alone. 
And I want to stop there for a minute because it got me this week. And I think we put, we impress on the scripture what we think that means. It's not good for man to be alone because what we think he's lonely or he desires a companion. And I'm sure that maybe that was it. But really, if you read in the, in the, in the order of it and when he's not good to be alone, it's when he is in, when he's working, He's not journaling. He's not like reading poetry, longing for a, a partner. He's like at work. And, and God says, it's not good for man to be alone, leading without a, another person, without another partner. And so what does he do? He creates him a helper, a suitable helper. And we read that, oh, that's interesting. No, you know what that is? That's... Um, that's my laptop. Yeah. Um, take it off Wi-Fi? Someone wants to run to my laptop and open it up and turn off the Wi-Fi. Thanks, Maddie. <sighs> oh, that's fun. Well, that watermark will stay there. We, um, sorry. Um, <clears throat> I, got, I love technology. Okay. So we will, you can pull it up. It'll, well, okay, that's fine. We'll just, we'll just keep going. Okay, so um, there's creation, and it's not good, and Adam's alone, so he makes him a helper. And last week we talked about that word helper. It was azer konegdo, and it was um, a helper suitable, a woman who had equal, she was his equal in, um, in status, and they were created to co-lead together. So it's not good for him to be alone leading and ruling over. So he creates a woman so they can rule over creation. And so it's very good at this point. Now things are very good. And then he says, I will make them equally in my image, man and woman. He created them to represent the fullness of who God is. And so we have this beautiful picture in the garden, and, it's, and it's, per, it's shalom. We read about the peace that is there, and they're in right relationship with each other and with God, and it is good. And then sin happens and enters the world, and the fall happens. And the first mention of male authority over women we see connected there to the fall. See, it didn't happen as God's original plan. It happened as a result of the fall. He says that I will make your pain and childbearing very severe with painful labor. You will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. We see that patriarchy, this idea of male over female, women in submission, is the worldly backdrop in the Bible that God has to work with. It's kind of the mess we created that God is working with. It was not his ideal for humankind and for flourishing. And it's interesting. It's one of the hardest ones we have had to, um, to combat and to, to break through. And I think maybe it's because it's the first effect of the fall. If you think about it, it was uh, a man uh, dominates woman, and then it's brother and brother, right? Cain and Abel, and then it's tribe and tribe. And so if we take it all back, it seems like it's a really hard one for us to overcome and get through it. But the story of God that we have through the Bible is his love story. His, uh, God is the primary character, the main actor in this story. And all, of, all that we read is about God initiating 
relationship back with people. And so how God does this, how he works with the mess, and we've um, talked about him um, acting as like a heavenly missionary. And a missionary is someone who goes into another place to bring the good news of Jesus, right? And as a missionary, you come in and you can't just uh, go in with truth and start shoving it down people's throat if they don't respect you or they don't trust you. And I told a story a couple weeks ago of this missionary couple that went into a village that was practicing some really um, uh, terrible acts on on young children. And this missionary comes in and they um, walk alongside the tribe and in... um, Uh, just kind of meeting them where they're at, giving them proper uh, tools and techniques even to perform these, uh, it was female circumcision for little girls. And they had uh, a bad, um, they didn't have sterile equipment. And so these missionaries brought them sterilization techniques and all all the while talking to them about Jesus, but they didn't have permission really to tell them, you can't do this practice anymore. Um, And so it's just this story of missionaries coming in, earning respect so that they then can have the right to preach the good news. And we, we see that with God and human. We see it all throughout scripture, God as heavenly missionary coming and making what we'll call like divine accommodations. And we see that in the old covenant and and God makes promise to his people and he says, "Um, I will promise to give you a new land and descendants and all of these will be given to you. And he meets them where they're at, where he thinks they need in this backdrop of patriarchy. So move forward. And the next place where God comes to meet people where they are is in the form of Jesus. And we see Jesus come as fully God and fully man. And he chose man because man was the one who held the power. Came as Jesus, the form of a man, because Jesus had power. And Jesus modeled power structure. And you know what he did? He said, those who have the power, lay it down. Those who have power, serve. He took everything and flipped it upside down. He brought a new covenant. He said, the old is gone, the new has come, and this is how it's going to work. You've got power, you're going to be last. You think you're better than others? Actually, let's, let's, let's elevate those who don't have power, the poor and the powerless. If you recall, Jesus, um, after he had, was baptized and he was in the, in the desert and he was being tempted, and then he goes in into Galilee and he goes into the synagogue to really, I believe, reveal his mission statement. He kind of gives, gives, he makes the, like, the stake in the ground, like, this is, my, this is my mission statement. And we would say that the mission statement of Jesus summed up in one word is, What? Love, right? Love, yes. Um, but he actually gave it some, um, some defining factors. And uh, it was in Luke 4, verses 18 through 19, if you remember this. He, he quotes from um, one of the prophets in the Old Testament. He said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind to set the oppressed free and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How did love look? Love looked like Jesus doing those things during his ministry. 
He spent three years gathering people and showing them what does it look like to love. He gave value to people, to people, the poor people, to he set prisoners free, recovery of the sight of the blind. And if you follow Jesus in the parables and his teaching, that was both a healing side of his ministry where he actually healed people, made blind men able to see, but also just the spiritually blind, people who just didn't see the truth right in front of them. So he, he, walks, he walks on earth for three years. He's gathering these disciples with him. And then we know that he is uh, crucified and then he is resurrected. And I was thinking about it, uh, you know, we see Jesus, and then after Jesus, we get the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost. When I was looking at that time frame in between there, and as we talk about women being able to have authority or preach um, in spaces where men are present, that's been a restriction of many churches along the way. Just real quick, and I don't think we're going to read every word of these scriptures, but I put them up there so you know I'm not making it up. Um, so Matthew, Matthew 28, um, the, the, uh, Mary Magdalene, they, they, they're going to the, the tomb. They're going to go see Jesus. And it says uh, in 28, uh, verse 2, it says, An angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb. It rolled back the stone and sat on it. And his appearance was like lightning, uh, clothes were white as snow. It said, The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I think it's really funny. <laughs> Sorry. So the men get really scared and they like, look like dead men, right? And then the angel says, hey, women, don't be afraid. And they're like, all right, we got this. Go, go, girls. Um, but because they didn't fall down and they were afraid, the angel says, hey, um, he's not here. He's risen. You can come and see for yourself. And then this is great. So then the angel says, then go and tell, right? It says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he's risen and is going ahead of you to Galilee. So it says that they... Um, they go and run and tell the disciples. And then suddenly, Jesus meets them. And he says, greetings. And, and then they come to him and they like clasp his feet and they get to worship him. Like the women were the very first people who had access to Jesus. Women who had no place in, in, in the world, in their culture. They had no value, no voice. And then Jesus said to them, to the women, don't be afraid. Go and tell my, my brothers, says my brothers, to go to Galilee, and then they'll see me. And so the women go and tell. And then we see that he, um, then, then he goes to the 11 disciples, because Judas was no longer with them. And they see him, and they worship, but some doubted. And then what happens? Then he says, this is where the Great, uh, the great Commission comes in. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And we know his mission statement was, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me and he has anointed me to proclaim, right? Jesus' mission statement is now being given to the disciples. That's really annoying. Why is it doing that? Okay. Um, right? So he has his mission statement. It's officially given to the disciples. And he says, um, now you get to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
And this is the part where he's basically, he's promising that the Holy Spirit is going to come and give him the power. The same spirit that was on Jesus, anointing him, is going to be on them to go into all the world. And then we know that Pentecost happens in the upper room. Um, Acts 2 begins that story, and it says they were all there in one place. In Acts 1, it talks about the 12 disciples and then the women who were there as well. So we know it's mixed company. So there's 120 people in there. The Holy Spirit comes down. They're filled with tongues, uh, speaking, speaking in tongues, filled with the Spirit. Peter preaches. 3,000 people are like ready to follow Jesus, and the church is birthed, right? Then we get to see uh, Paul. Paul, who we've studied over uh, the last several weeks, and we study a lot, one of the main, uh, the main author of the New Testament that we read. He's uh, planted a lot of churches absolutely, absolutely taking on that same mission that Jesus gave to his disciples, the very same mission. And if you remember what Jesus said his mission was, and this is very important to what we've been talking about, he says, um, he said, he said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because I've come to proclaim the good news to the poor, to spread the gospel to the poor, proclaim freedom for prisoners, recovery for sight of blind, set the oppressed free, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The apostle Paul picked up the mission of Jesus and the disciples, and it became his mission as well. So when he brought the good news, the spirit of the Lord was on him and anointing him, the same as it was as the disciples. And if we can remember that this is the spirit that Paul carried with him, when we read writings that Paul writes or things that trip us up or passages that don't make sense, like when, it, when he says women need to be quiet in the church, John talked about it a couple weeks ago, to me that sounds very oppressive. Like he's telling them to be quiet, but isn't he come to set them free? So maybe something else is going on here. That's the question we want to ask ourselves. That's why topics like this are so important. Helps us understand how do we understand, how do we understand scripture? Something else has got to be going on. I want to look at this one last passage today that um, we've, also, we've used to further a complementarian view and interpretation of Scripture. Um, and I think it is quite possibly one of the greatest equalizers for, for women in the church. Now, before we read this, I want you to know there's not enough time to go and un unpack all of it because there's a lot in here and I don't even fully understand all of it. Um, but I want to read from 1 Corinthians 11 and uh, I'm going to have it up on the screen. So I'm just going to read it and then make a few observations. All right. So this is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. It says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. This is uncovering the head in worship. I praise you for remembering me and everything and for holding to the traditions just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ and the head of the woman is a man and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors God, dishonors his head. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as having her head shaved. 
For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it is a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. A man ought to not cover his head since he is the image and glory of God. But woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as every woman comes from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is to her glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So there's a lot in there. Uh, a couple observations. Uh, verse 4, men and women were both prophesying. Men, men and women were both in the church leading with their gifts of prophecy. We know this is happening. And we know that there are some cultural dynamics here um, with head coverings and hair. Um, it doesn't necessarily work here in our context. So we have to ask the question. Something is going on, and we need to figure out what it is. There's a lot of honor and shame that he's addressing here. And so he gives instructions on how to handle this, this cultural thing, this thing that's happening with them, and how to bring honor and value to the people. See, a Western reading, uh, we read that, and uh, I think we, we want Paul, we think Paul needs to say, hey, if men don't have to, they have, to have their heads covered, then sh women shouldn't either. I mean, that would be fair. But we, and we think, we just want him to say, women, you don't need to wear one either. The men don't have to, right? We think that it, it maybe symbolizes like women are submitting or there's this, uh, you know, oppression that's going on. And what we might not understand is the significance of head coverings in Corinth. So there were laws, law, and the laws of that time were, were created by men, and they were enforced by men, um, usually for the benefit of men. Uh, the veil and the head coverings had a very significant meaning in that time. Women of honor, uh, women who were married, were allowed to veil. They were permitted to wear a veil or head covering. It was a sign that you, uh, you were valuable to somebody, right? Wearing that head covering meant that you had worth to somebody. To not veil symbolized uh, that you were sexually impure, not veiling was for prostitutes, for slave women, for freed women. I actually heard a law, I read about a law um, by Octavian Augustus that stated, if anyone was caught, any woman was caught without a veil in public, whether or not she was permitted to veil, if she like left her veil at home and was out in public, and she was sexually assaulted, she could not press charges. So that would mean if you never had the opportunity to veil, you had no protection over your own body. It was a big deal. So I imagine the church in Corinth, 
right? I'm thinking all these people are coming together and we know it's attractive. We know that the church is flourishing and growing and people are coming in and we've got men and we've got Jews and Greeks and we've got um, women. We've got prostitutes. We know we've got slave women. We've got free women. We've got married women. <clears throat> and they're, they're walking through the doors. They've got veils. They don't have veils. They've got all this stuff. And I, I, this scene comes to mind. Have, have you guys seen the movie The Saint? with Val Kilmer and Elizabeth Shue. It's just really terrible. It's good, though. I mean, I love Elizabeth Shue. But um, she's like this scientist, and she discovers cold fusion, and she's living in Russia. She's an American. And the bad guys are after her, and she's like running, and the American embassy is there, and she's like going up to the gates, and she's got her passport out, and she's like, I'm an American, I'm an American, let me in, and the bad guys with like the scars on their face are chasing her, and the, um, the guards at the embassy open up, and she just falls through the gate, and, the, and the, it shuts, and she like waves at the bad guys, but I think that the, the church space in Corinth was like kind of like that, like they could walk through the doors like, I'm a Christian, I'm a beloved child of God. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And they come in and Paul says, hey, you get a veil too. And you get a veil. It's kind of like Oprah. You get a car. You get a car. We all get cars. But when, women, when you come in here, you are permitted to cover your head. The veil brings value. Those of you who feel the world's told you that you aren't permitted, you're not worthy, you're too impure, you can't wear a veil. He says, no, in this space, you can cover your head. When you leave, you might have to take it off, and I can't necessarily control that, but in here, you are someone of worth. You are one in Christ. We are united in that fact. And here, we see evidence that, that people are prophesying, like men and women, it's what was, well, they said, like, in the days to come, in the future, your, your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And it's happening in there. And I can imagine if you had this gift of, if you had the gift of prophecy and you're in this space and you're a, a prostitute and you can't veil how, sh how much shame you might feel have to, having to stand up in mixed company. And he just like takes all that away. He's like, then wear a veil. In here, you get to wear one. This united body. Reading that makes sense to me. The spirit of Paul's letter makes so much sense. That veil equalizes them all. You know, I was thinking about um, other places in Scripture. We did that. We're here. We read about that. And, you know, even Jesus, right, on the cross, when he takes his last breath and he, he's handed over to death, we, we see that the temple veil is torn in two. You know, the curtain, it'll say that the curtain was torn in two, symbolizing that we now all have access to God. In the temple, it was just the male priest who had access to God. And at the moment when Jesus' uh, death was, was made a reality, right? He says, it's gone. You're all, we, talk, we read about the priesthood of all believers, of one body coming together. You are all now priests, and guess what? You have equal access to God because of the Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that was on the Lord, who anointed the Lord, who anointed the disciples, who anointed Paul, is now resting in you. See, Jesus wasn't caught up in all that stuff 
that we get caught up in. You know, Paul, when, when we think about it, that, you know, he writes in other places when we talk about clothing, things that, uh, that man-made, uh, things that get us tripped up. You know, when he talks about clothing in Colossians, if we read that, he says, what are you supposed to clothe yourself with? Well, it's like a spiritual nature, right? He says, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, with gentleness, with humility. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Put on love. Jesus didn't care about head coverings and the things of this world. He cared about our hearts, right? And I think Paul did the same missionary work. And because of Paul's work, you know, we get to be here today. God sent the church on a mission to continue the work that he started, meeting people where they're at as the heavenly missionary. The church in Corinth, they needed instruction on head coverings because that was a thing. It was a man-made law, so Paul helped them. You know, we don't need instruction on it here, but there's other things that we do. What is the spirit behind that? What is the unifying spirit there? In that space, he said, men, women, you are all equal. We have a beautiful example in the early church. And it's so awesome. It's great. We don't need a passport to belong to it because it's made available for all people for all times. Our Father in heaven who created you uniquely on purpose for purpose in this world. So church, how... How do we move forward with this? Practically, what does it look like to know this? You know, we take a step back and we say, okay, so um, men and women are equal to lead in the church. What's our response to that? And I think, church, we need to realize that um, Jesus told the women to go, and then he told the disciples, and then he told Paul and they told the church, and this means you. We all have the same mission of Jesus. And I am going to um, have us read this together, this Luke passage. And um, if you would, in fact, yeah, if you would read this with me. The spirit of the Lord is on you because he has anointed you to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent you to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Um, We believe that the Holy Spirit has absolutely anointed each and every one of you in this space today to carry out that mission. And you know that all of God's creation, all Every single person you look at is created in the image of God with equal value and worth, deserving of a relationship with Jesus and with other people. We have a responsibility. We have a responsibility right now, right here. Now, we can't, we can't conquer all of the big social injustices out there in the world, but we can start today. We can start in our own hearts. We can start in our homes we can start in this church. 
we can start in this community and we can continue it on and the impact we would make if we would take this to heart. So first thing, recognize where, where maybe you've gotten this wrong. And here, here's what I want to say. It's not just about our expectation of the leadership in our lives. It's recognizing the unique giftings in each person. So when, you're, when you are encountering somebody and you have this expectation of them that maybe it's something you have put on them. Maybe it's something because of who you think they should be. You've, you've created this unattainable thing for their lives when God never called them to that. We believe that the Spirit gifts us and to use those gifts, but when we don't hold that in, in uh, when we don't give that enough value or equal uh, space, then a lot of people, we will feel um, judged, we'll feel disappointed. You know, we, we say, the, the page, when we think of patriarchy in, in the world, and maybe even in this space, we can say, no, we believe women can lead. Amber, you're up there right now. Um, we are, we're all about it. It's great. I think as the church, we have taken this same idea of, of um, gender leadership and we've brought it into our homes as well. Now, I don't have time, nor do I really want to go into the man as the head of the house or woman as the head of the house um, because I just don't think there's, this is the place for that today. However, let me just say this. If you are married... If you can think of the, uh, if you can recognize in your home, in your space, and I'll just say married, let's just also say your brothers, your sisters, anybody who you live with in your home today, and you are feeling some sort of tension, um, your relationship's a little rough, um, maybe you have expectations of your spouse that, um, you know, women, as you look at your husband, you think maybe you have this idea that he's supposed to lead in the house Maybe he's just got this huge heart and he just, you've got gifts of leadership and he's okay to let you lead. And there's this tension. I mean, sometimes we don't even recognize our own biases. So as we look at our own lives and the conflict and the tension we have, it may be in our homes, you just need to recognize the good gifts that God has planted in your significant other and call them out. Recognize it in them, in our church, in each other as we serve alongside one another and we serve in teams and committees and, and in Bible studies and small groups, uh, rather than placing all of our expectations on people where they will, will always let us down because we're human, let's call out the good. Let's recognize the gifts, the good gifts that God has given each and every one of us because I'm, I'm telling you, um, if you can't recognize the good and you're always, it, it, it just ruins our relationships. And then the last thing, um, well, to repent, to recognize, to recognize where we have messed up, where our relationships are rough, to repent, to say, I'm sorry, I see the good in you. I'm grateful for you. And then to reconcile, to say, what can I do to make it better? How can I move forward and make this right? And if you have to do that today before you leave here, if there's someone who you've just held in this, this place of, of unmet expectation and disappointment, I say clothe yourself with gentleness and humility. Bear with one another. Forgive one another as Christ forgave us so that we can live in unity. 
God's whole plan for humanity is to bring people back into relationship with himself. And that's through the church, and it's through us. And I want to close by saying this. I want to thank you. Uh, it is not lost on me. It is not, um, it is not a, I haven't forgotten the work that this community has done. When I got here three years ago, I learned of a church split. This church went through over the idea of a woman leading in this church. And there are many of you in this room today who said, um, we hate to see you go, but if you can't um, accept that, and we believe that that's right, that it's okay if a woman leads, then you let them go. And, and I know that um, today there are people in this room who bear the battle wounds of lost and broken relationships that were never able to reconcile over this. You have wounds, you, like you have scars that you fought for me before I was even here. You fought for my daughter to have opportunity to lead before we even walked in this building. So I wanna thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you for loving each other. And thank you for loving Jesus enough to say, we want to represent the whole kingdom and the whole image of God in this place. And if you're new here, uh, you found a really great place with some really great people who I believe are faithful, um, who I know who have proven faithful to God and the mission we've all been called to. Let us pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, O oh, heavenly missionary, for meeting us where we are. Thank you for knowing what we need and entering into our world at just the right time. Thank you so much for Jesus who came to, to show us what it's like to love people and to lay down our power and our privilege. God, I thank you for your word. Thank you so much for the word that you have revealed to us, that you are continuing to reveal and make known. God, we are here today and in, in we know that we just don't have all the answers. God, I ask that you open our eyes, help us recognize where you are working Recognize where we have been a part of, of hurt and pain and suffering. Give us the courage to repent. Give us the courage to apologize. Give us the strength to bear with one another in relationship so that we are not a hindrance to others' relationship with you. And God, give us a way forward as a community in our homes and in those relationships that might be broken, but also in our community. Give us your eyes and your ears so that we may hear your word, hear your voice amidst all the other noises out there. And let us see what you are doing in us and around us and through us as we carry on the mission that Jesus gave us. As we go into all the world, making disciples for your name. We thank you for this place and these people. 
We give all of this for you, God. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.